This is episode 10, one zero. and on this week's show, we're going to talk about a couple of 2020 horror films. We're going to be discussing in-depth She Dies Tomorrow, as well as Rent-A-Pal, and, you know, we'll have a brief uh, conversation about uh, 2020 in general, uh, as far as horror films go, you know, talk about some of the movies we saw um notable releases that we were able to catch up with um so we'll save that for the end of the show um before we dive into part one of the double feature any uh, any housekeeping anything anybody wants to bring up before we uh just dive right in oh i should i suppose i should introduce my co-host i uh <laughs> <laughs> probably a good idea <laughs> uh that was paris laughing hello paris welcome you can always recognize me by my laugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't confuse uh, these three laughs on this show. It <laughs> would be difficult to do. Uh, Travis has not laughed yet, but uh, he's the other voice on here. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Uh, yeah, say something funny, and maybe I will. Oh, got him. <laughs> oh, got him. <laughs> uh, this was uh, your idea, Travis, as far as... Uh, Picking a couple uh, 2020 releases. Um, Strictly for cramming purposes. Right. Uh, I, was, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cram jam. Thank you, ma'am. With any real intention of actually being contenders on your best of the year list, or you just happened upon two that none of us had seen yet, as far as these uh, picks in particular? I would say a little bit of both. I heard... Some high praise from She Dies Tomorrow, although it does seem like that movie is a bit polarizing. I'm sure we'll get into it a bit later. It does and, seem uh, that, yep. <laughs> Rent-A-Pal just seems like one of those under-the-radar movies that deserved a shake. Just needed so, to see. You don't know yeah. until you know. So exactly. now you know. And our listeners will know very soon. Um, <laughs> anything, uh, anything else before... Uh, we tackle part one of the double feature. I don't think so. Paris, you're all good. Um, I just turned 29. 29? Oh, yeah, birthday girl. Um, and that was and like literally two days ago and had a whole weekend. And I'm not going to get too into it on the air or whatever. But that was an actively insane just a real comedy of errors weekend, but it was amazing. And now I am super close to being 30 and feel extremely old. Cool. I'm on the other side of that. So (laughs) yeah, me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all are old. So it's ready. (laughs) Fucking old. Well, you'll have to tell us, uh, after we're off the air a little bit about this, uh, uh, what'd you call it? A 
a comedy of errors. Uh, <laughs> I did no? call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, real quick, what did you do for your 30th or 29th? Sorry. Whoops. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> not wow. yet. Roll, but. <laughs> <laughs> so because of COVID, I couldn't like actually have a big shindig like normal. I mean, you like, could for have. My 28. Well, for my 28th last year, I had 28 people over the whole night come and i was like that feels like a super spreader event so this time i was i just did the whole get tested then quarantine for a week then um went to an airbnb on the hood canal with three of my best gals my best gal friends and spent the weekend up there very cool I'm sorry, I had to stifle a laugh because uh, you said on your birthday last year, uh, 28 people came and I just, <laughs> my mind immediately went to, you know, a train situation. Uh, <laughs> well, it was my 28th birthday, so I think on your 28th birthday, you're supposed to do a circle jerk where you're in the middle and just 28 people come on you. That's, I'm like, wow. that's what I've always been told, right? <laughs> that's what we in the biz call a bukkake. Hmm. I don't know about that, but where's this going? <laughs> uh, it's going uh, too much porn up as the as the worst. Uh, oh yeah, the show. circling back to our outro last time. I was like, usually I get us in these awkward conversations. But that was uh, well, that you was pressure. Great job, Travis. You made a prediction, and uh, it's now full circle. Full circle, jerk. full circle. Jerk. <laughs> Um, spinoff podcast, full circle jerk. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Where we just talk about porn. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't I'm know that was going to be the premise, but <laughs> I, sure, I am, I am very, very tired. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty exhausted and I wish I had, even though we're all working from home, I wish I had taken today off. Mm. Yeah. That was, uh. Uh, sure, you're regretting that, regretting that today, but uh, now we're Many here. Regrets. We're going to have a good time, yeah. and uh, we're going to start off our good time by discussing the first film in our 2020 double feature, and that is Rent-A-Pal. Uh, let me get the plot synopsis on this bad boy pulled up. I had never even heard of this movie until um, you brought it up for the podcast, Travis. You're welcome. Did you just see it on some jabroni's letterbox list, or... Reading IndieWire or what? F- first heard of it from, but I, d- I know I saw it on Hulu, and um, I don't know. It probably was on one of those like best of 2020 lists that I was scouring, um, but not really sure where I first heard of it. Mm. But yeah, it is very, uh, it's a very under the radar type of movie. Don't feel like many people are talking about it or even know that it exists. Right. Well. We'll soon find out if uh, there's a reason for that. Um, But (laughs) let me read the plot synopsis first. Set in 1990, a lonely bachelor named David searches for an escape from day-to-day drudgery of caring for his aging mother. While seeking a partner through a video dating service, he discovers a strange VHS tape called Rent-A-Pal. Hosted by the charming and charismatic Andy, the tape offers him much-needed company, compassion, and friendship. But Andy's friendship comes at a cost, and David desperately struggles to afford the price of admission. What did you guys think of uh, Rent-A-Pal? Who wants to go first on this one? You know, I think Travis can go first since he technically chose this movie. 
Sure. I will go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually like this quite a bit. I uh, enjoyed the 90s aesthetic of it and uh, the premise of it. It took something that was more of like a present day thing with the online dating and put it back in the 90s through some VHS tapes. Um, I don't know if things like this existed back in the 90s, but if they did, I was not aware of them. I was also very young in the 90s, so (laughs) maybe also a reason why I was not aware of them, if they did exist. Well, specifically 1990. I mean, Paris and I weren't even born yet. You were, what, one, two? So we were all dating. (laughs) I was pushing two. (laughs) I mean, not to interrupt while you're just starting out, but I'm pretty sure video dating services definitely did exist. I don't know if they worked exactly how this did, but I've, I've definitely heard of that before. Yeah, I, I heard of it too, but more as like a, you know, a lost relic of, of culture, you know, like a little technological tidbit, everything with, with the advancing technology, you know, latest yeah, and greatest like thing. Pretty That's popular it. in the 80s. Yeah, I I got more of a more of an eighties vibe. Um, I know it's set in nineteen ninety, but as far as like the uh, the aesthetic of it, uh, I don't know. I mean, well, you know, the previous was... decade always bleeds into the next one. I mean, come on, totally. Yeah, but I don't know the the outfits, the um, the decorum in the home in which the film is set. I got eighties vibes from that, but it's also his mom's house, so really, it was probably more like. 70s vibes or something with the house itself but um cool well i I can go next um i also liked it um didn't love it i was intrigued by the premise um didn't ultimately go to a place that i found super interesting but i definitely was invested in what the movie was trying to do because I had a hard time like I wasn't exactly sure which way it was gonna go as far as is this someone's like deteriorating mental health is there some sort of like stalker element is it a supernatural is it supernatural thing? or is he crazy essentially yeah. right and the whole time I was like eh, I don't know uh, he and, deaf crazy yeah yeah by the end I literally have a note Part of the way through the movie. Is it supernatural or is he crazy? My last note of the movie. He crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we can get more into specifics, but just generally, I thought it was well-crafted. You know, it, it didn't look bad. I, I liked the performances. Um, they felt relatively real. Like, they weren't super hammy. Like, very conversational. Um, and I, I thought I, the mom character was a bit over the top, but you kind of justify it just given her state yeah i Mm. actually felt the same i i enjoyed most of the acting in it except for the mom i felt like it was i saw what they were trying to do and it felt off-putting but not necessarily in the way that was intended i think Mm -hmm. um what about you paris where did you land on this one um i felt pretty similar to you matt i i I enjoyed it. I wasn't sure where they were going to go when they did make the decision of what they were going to do with it and kind of, I would say, almost the turn. I I felt that that happened a little suddenly, which was interesting. 
interesting because at 35 minutes into the movie, I checked the time because nothing had happened. And I was trying to be like, what is this movie? Like, I was enjoying it, but I was a little like, where are we going? What are we doing? And I was surprised for a movie that I think was about 90 minutes. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. But for I was like, we're a, we're a third in and I, I'm not really sure where we're going with this. So I was... For a movie that felt kind of a little mean, like a little slow burny, I felt like when shit started happening, especially with his mental health state, I felt like that happened a little suddenly. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think that's ultimately the film's biggest weakness is that it it's it's very much a slow burn. And that's not inherently a, a bad thing. Like, I was invested. I liked that the movie was taking its time. But there's not a lot happening. I didn't and like then you're the right, slow though. burn feel. I thought you, it was pretty entertaining and, um, like, well plotted throughout. But I will agree with the point you're about to make, Matt, that I think the ending just goes off the rails a little bit. <laughs> I, I kind of like the ending. I think it just, like Paris is saying, there's... Maybe not a specific moment, but as the third act kind of ramps up, they I, I just feel like it wasn't earned. Like the movie was taking its time and then put its foot on the gas and then just accelerated towards the ending. I, I actually can think is... of a specific moment, but I'll let you let you go. Travis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the main problem with the movie is the ending and how much it ratchets up towards the end. And it almost seems like it's a fault to make this a horror movie because like the first half or two thirds or so I thought was really effective. And if they would have went like the more like, I don't know, almost like a her type approach, I think it could have been a lot stronger, but then it kind of like cops out at the end with this horror ending. I mm, am no. mixed between the two of you. No. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think literally, but um, <laughs> I truly, I truly enjoyed kind of the the crazy end and like how and all, all the things that were happening in those scenes at the end where it just kind of goes off the rails. I really truly appreciate that, and I hope we can get into some details of that a little bit later, but. I also do feel like I, like with Travis, like I was really enjoying the, like I said, it was a slow burn, but I was very entertained and enjoying it. I just was a little like, what are we doing? And where are we going? And then things started happening for like the second, third. And I was, that was the part where I was most engaged and most in it. And then, so the exact moment I'm talking about where I feel like the third act really starts is when he's making out with his video gal on the couch and the it turns on no i'm sorry not when he's making out with her no when he gets home from the date and he's watching the video and he's like yeah we have a date tomorrow and will wheaton's like we had plans but in his creepy will wait way um and i just that was where I was like, oh, immediately, like, kind of, that felt like the moment of the turn for me into the third act, where it just sort of ramped up almost too quickly. Like, I wish more of the second act had been in the beginning, and then the third act had been more spread out a little bit, or ramped up a little slower, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there there are a couple points with with the videotapes themselves that I think it, it's the movie's strongest quality and kind of its Achilles heel in a sense. And by that, I mean, there are a couple moments where at least I think we're meant to assume that there's some sort of delusion happening where he, Will Wheaton's character, Andy, is saying something that's not actually on the tape. And those right. those were the moments where I think that's intentional is to make you question like, you know, what's happening here? Is there some sort of is, is this like a live feed, you know, because oftentimes it seems like he's replying directly to his questions. But I think that's also the movie's strength in that there are these scenes on the tapes that are repeated but in different contexts. Like there's moments early in the tape that mean something entirely different by the end, just based on context. And well, I thought that's like really cool. Right. Perceives it. Right, right. Yeah, like the like he's giving the same responses, but what our our protagonist is saying to him and saying back is different, right? It's definitely recorded, but like Matt was saying, the the movie tries to like trick you where you maybe second guess that it is recorded and maybe it is a live feed. But then like, as the movie goes on, you kind of just realize that the main character is a little crazy, you know, and he's a little lonely. So he's going to, I would say, I would even argue a lot crazy. Okay. Well, I mean, (laughs) there's reasons for it. (laughs) He does spend a lot of his time taking care of his elderly mom and spends the majority of time in her basement by himself. So, yeah, I mean, it that's kind makes of sense why... why he's crazy. <laughs> no, totally. And that's why I really actually loved him as our protagonist, because I felt like like when he would get frustrated with his mom, it's like, of course, you feel bad because it's like she doesn't understand what's going on. It's not really her fault, per se. And often people with dementia can be very aggressive and very hard to be around. And it's extremely hard to be a caretaker. And so, and like the gal, like his gal was saying, who was a caretaker, like it's super easy to be resentful, especially because like in his case, he can't work or have friends or a love life even really, because he has to spend a hundred percent of his time with his mom at home, taking care of her, like definitely understand like why he would be a little fucked up from that. Yeah, I definitely understand why he would be a little fucked up from that. And that's why I really enjoyed him as our as our main character, because you understand, you really understand the loneliness, the the mental health issues, why he would snap and why he would be relying on this videotape to be his best friend. But I just felt like, I felt like we needed to work up to him, like actually snapping and fucking losing his shit, especially... So, I mean, to spoil things, you know, like when he does his shit to his mom, that almost like felt in character of like you you snap, you lose it, you're resentful, totally understand. But when he started to murder his lady pal or whatever, Lisa, Mm -hmm. thank you. I could not remember her name. Um, When he starts to murder Lisa, I was like, but why? Like that, I that was where I was like, kind of like, 
I appreciated what was actually going on in the scene. Like when she starts slipping in the lasagna. I fucking love that. Yeah, love the lasagna. And there's just lasagna everywhere. It it just felt like it felt like a really like like a lot of times in horror movies there's something that prevents the victim from getting away and it feels kind of contrived. That one felt really like honest and I loved it. But I didn't quite I didn't quite understand why our 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 guy would be trying to murder her all at the same time. Yeah, I I love the lasagna, but it was also a little bit silly. Like that scene in particular, like that's that's where the film really goes full on horror flick. And it's I mean, what the fuck were those noodles cooked in Vaseline or something? Like they're not that fucking slippery, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not a short scene where she's like trying to crawl away. And I mean, it's not I love that part. You know, like <laughs> A little silly. It felt tonally just a little a like, what are we struggle. doing here? The lasagna yeah. got the best of her. <laughs> yeah. Lasagna always wins in the end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see when you had mentioned a turning point, Paris, I was actually thinking it was the moment where he hits his mom with the videotape and like knocks her on the ground. Because that's like the first moment where yeah. he really, we see this like, side of him where it's like, oh okay this guy's capable of like harming another human being now it's a horror movie you know what i mean so that's that's what i was thinking of when you mentioned like a turning point was it was yeah. that particular scene i was more thinking the turning point of his actual mental state mm. from he's lonely he's losing it a little bit he's alone he's using this videotape to be his best friend and then all of a sudden he goes from sort of like he's having some mental health issues to like, oh, he has lost it. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's actively preventing himself from enjoying life, seeing this gal again who he's really into and excited about to spend time alone with at home with his videotape. Yeah, because he can't lose Andy. <laughs> Right, but Andy is in his head, essentially. Like, their relationship is essentially in his head, right? Yeah, yes. So oh, that's, sure. that was, for me, was the turn of his actual mental health, where it's like, he's not just using Andy as a tool where he's like, he needs something to get through the day. He's now full-on sabotaging himself so he can spend time at home talking to his TV. Mm -hmm. Which I like. I like that aspect of the film a lot. I think that's super interesting. But I think this movie works. Like the more I think about it, the more it kind of falls apart because there are multiple pivotal moments that kind of happen very much by chance. So like, for example, when he's making out with Lisa and he, he sits on the remote Sure, like that. I that's fine. He sits on the remote, but it just so happens to be queued up to the part where Andy is just like he's not speaking. It's just staring. He's got a kind of a creepy look on his face out of context, and then he starts laughing hysterically. You know, right at the moment where he should be laughing hysterically because he fucking comes in his pants. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just th those kind of moments fall oh apart my because God, it, that was <laughs> that was good, but. It makes sense in when it's just him alone with Andy, you can do that kind of stuff. But 
when there's another character there who is acknowledging what's happening, like it gets a little, it stretches believability at that point because she saw the, she saw the TV. She heard him laughing. Like she acknowledges what had happened. But she was going to call out the tape regardless of what. Yeah. Right. I guess I was kind of, I kind of saw that whenever we see the tape, whenever we're watching the tape, we are always looking at it through our our main character. What is his name? I keep calling him the just the main character. David. David, excuse me. Thank you. So whenever we are watching the tape, I am always assuming that we're watching it through David's eyes as an unreliable cuckoo banana pants narrator. Mm-hmm. So I just... I guess I, maybe I was giving the movie a little too much credit, but I guess I assumed in that moment that we were watching that from his perspective, where Will Wheaton is almost reacting to what's going on on screen. And she was just like, why is this weird tape with this guy talking? And like, as if he's your friend, you know what I mean? Like you saw any part of that tape, I would be like, what's this weird tape? But he gets really defensive because he sees the tape reacting to them. Well, the tape like warps his perception because the tape, is a fixed tape and it's going to play out the same way every time. It's just the way it's presented and how he perceives exactly. it is what kind of adds to it and makes you, you know, kind of get into his headspace. And that's ultimately where I feel like it's kind of difficult to like judge the movie, I guess, because part of me wants to sympathize with him. And then part of me thinks he went a little too crazy, but it's hard I to mean- like, Say Murder is went, that. Well, <laughs> I I agree. I agree. He ultimately went too far, but at the same time, like you want to believe his motivations and like kind of put yourself in his shoes. And it's kind of difficult to do because of his mental state. So I have trouble with the ending to an I extent. Mean, like I said earlier, like I was kind of in like feeling understanding of his even when even when he started hurting his mom like i didn't approve of it or agree with it but i can understand like the logic there and his frustration and his resentment basically up until the part where he started to try to murder his lady friend yeah and not only that but he starts reciting lines from the tape like, I, I, I don't know exactly what we're supposed to assume there, that it's like a almost like a split personality type thing manifesting in that moment. Because he's he's verbatim reciting lines from the tape. So I guess it's just, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it was a little too much. Him like, and Andy I, have become one. I mean, they kind of were pretty pretty early on, but right. And I feel like that was the movie hitting that a little too hard on the nose. Yeah, like he yeah. is Andy, and use him. Like, yeah, we we got it right. Yeah, like, we it's didn't it, we didn't need that. We got it. That's why I was I was a little bit disappointed that that was the ultimate culmination of that because that's kind of the least surprising. Like once the turn happens, that's kind of the least surprising thing that they could have gone to. But up until that moment, I wasn't sure. Right. But when then once he goes crazy, it's like, okay, well, you know, he's either going to become one in the same person or, um, as you know, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to manifest in the film, but I had a hunch that's where it might be going. But prior to that, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what the movie's 
ultimate goal was. And I think that's why the movie was ended up being as effective as it was. Cause I was curious about what was going to happen. Like, I think it's a, it's a really cool premise for a story, right? Like I, I, the premise is what makes Definitely. this movie. It's just you get a li- like you can nitpick some of the specifics and the you can get into. It's a little lazy, I think anyway, for you to not you as in like one of you specifically, but like for someone to look at it and just any inconveniences with the story on a logical level to just chalk it up to him being crazy. I think that's kind of lazy. You know what I mean? Because there are things that creep up that are just like have to be in there for story purposes that kind of stretch, you know, like like the scene that we were talking about where the, the tape plays at the exact right moment or even early on before he has really had an opportunity to like become invested in the tape. He turns off the TV. We see him turn off the TV and he comes back downstairs and the TV turns itself on. back on. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it like ta- it seems to talk to him. And maybe we're supposed to think that there this mental instability or this mental illness is there prior to Andy showing up in his life, I guess. But so, again, that's writing it uh, off on mental illness. You, you know, <laughs> you bring it. You bring up a good point with that because I watched this with Kurt as I do most of these movies. And he brought up the question at some point that like, he was wondering, he asked me like, is dementia genetic? And do we think that maybe the stress of having to be a caretaker for his mother is deteriorating his mental health in that way? And so he's having a hard time discerning what's going on, but more in a minor fashion. Yeah. I mean, he, he is uh, only 40 years old. Like, even if I don't know if dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever is hereditary or not. Um, yeah. But 40, I mean, come on. We've all seen Still Alice. The whole point of that movie is she's too young for <laughs> dementia to be setting in. And she's like 55 yeah, in that movie. I don't you know what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, you haven't seen Still Alice? Oh, God. Travis, no. you've seen Still Alice. I right? know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. But she's she's <laughs> in her 50s in that movie. And it's like the whole thing in that movie is like, I mean, it's not impossible, but yeah, uh, you're pretty young to have dementia, you know? Like, well, and I'm not, he definitely doesn't have dementia, but I'm think, wondering. I don't if think that's... the movie was really playing into that. I think it's no? just playing okay. into his loneliness and being a caretaker for his mom so long. Like, I mean, eventually that's going to uh, put a toll on you. Yeah. yeah. Take yeah. a toll. And I mean, I'm I hope I'm not going out on a limb here, but, but I do feel like <laughs> <laughs> I, I do feel like we're not supposed to assume that this guy was like some socialite playboy before his dad died or before his mom got what? sick. Like pretty sure he's always been kind of a loser (laughs) you know what i mean matt they literally say that in the movie he's like yeah remember in sixth grade when this horrible embarrassing thing happened to me i didn't ever talk to anyone ever again and i mean obviously that's an exaggeration but he says i never talk to anyone again Oh, I must have missed that. I mean, I was making a joke. I knew he was supposed to be like a weirdo, <laughs> but I had apparently missed that detail at the end of that conversation. Did he really say he never, he like, that was the moment where he stopped? 
I mean, I might be. I I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember necessarily. That does sound familiar. But I'm pretty sure it was along the lines of, and then I never talked to anyone again. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's an exaggeration. He has literally spoken to people. But I kind of got the feeling that that was traumatic for him. And because of obviously some mental health issues or whatever, he just decided that he couldn't talk to people anymore and then he didn't try to make friends from that point on kind of right right see um i I think where the movie kind of started to lose me a bit um i mean before the ridiculous horror ending was and again it's hard to really put myself into his shoes because i'm not in the same mental state as him but it just was hard to believe that he would give up on that date that he was pretty much pining for and like so excited about uh, yeah just because he was in fear of losing Andy and I get Andy was an important aspect to his life but so was getting that date especially with her like he was so excited to have a date with his match they went out on a date they, they hit it off pretty well she seemed like she understood him and she seemed like she would she, like help him like she, she seemed like seemed a good fit for him perfect but then he was able to just like discard her just like that because of Andy. And I think that's where maybe the movie got kind of lazy with its writing or didn't really know where to go at that point. And so it went to like a cheaper, more horror ending. Um, yeah. But up until that point, I was like fully into this movie. Well, totally. And I, th- and I feel like that's why I feel like that's the turn because I feel like that's when the movie goes from like a really good movie to an okay movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on the topic of of the the tape, like I I do think the scene where he starts jerking off to the tape because Andy's telling a story, like I, th- are do you think that was actually on the tape? Because it circles back him laughing. Uh, is supposed to be at least in that earlier scene a reaction. He's like, "Ha ha, you loser! You were jacking off to me," you know, like. So, so are we I meant to assume that's felt like what happened? That was on the tape because, well, it's hard to say. What, let me put this differently. Do I feel like we were supposed to think that that was one of the pre-recorded things? Kind of, yeah. But from the beginning, like as soon as Will Wheaton starts talking about his mom and being unemployed, it feels odd, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like it feels like... Okay, so theoretically, this tape is supposed to be kind of like a like a buddy, like someone you can talk to if you're lonely, whatever, rent a pal, right? But if that kind of tape were to come out, theoretically, it would be like an actor in a studio being understanding, giving you an ear to listen to, maybe sharing some fake tidbits from his life but they would probably be like generally surface level or maybe like not be weird right Mm -hmm. he would he would seem like a normal upstanding whatever guy and there was a lot of stuff in the even in the beginning that i have a feeling if someone else watched the tape it would be different oh yeah that's... I have a feeling that none of the recorded stuff was exactly how we saw it. That's why I was thinking from the beginning it felt off. And that's why I was like, maybe Will Wheaton is a creepy stalker. Or 
maybe, as we found the end, since our guy David is crazy, maybe David was just hearing what he wanted to hear the whole time. Whoa. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, to be fair, he is um, kind of pessimistic isn't the right word but when he first starts watching it he's like he's you know he, he's making a joke of it right and he's like what's your name and he's like fuck you buddy or something you know what i mean like he's he's clearly yeah. he's clearly not invested in it and he's responding yeah, except, to the guy's questions except why would you buy that right like he bought it because he's lonely so he's responding like that like fuck you but he keeps watching it mm-hmm. like you know what i mean like I think he's he's feeling upset, but I think he's he's low key invested from the beginning. Oh, for sure. And one thing we haven't touched on that I think is is one of the more interesting elements of the film is the fact that he like because early on he'll he'll um, David's character will be telling a story and just by the nature of the medium itself and it being pre-recorded, he gets cut off or Andy has an inappropriate reaction to what he was actually saying. And as right. he watches the tape more and more, he like rehearses his responses based on the timing of mm-hmm. Andy. And I think there's something just really, really fucking sad about that. Right? Like you could view this movie one of two ways as being like a slow burn, like horror um thriller film or you could view it as like the slow decline of someone's of a very very lonely man's mental health Mm -hmm. that ultimately erupts in in violence it's both of those things at the same time and i think that's kind of why it was an interesting watch well and that's why i almost wish kind of like travis was saying i almost wish they like hadn't done the sort of classic full-on horror at the end and had done something a little bit more interesting Mm -hmm. with where the movie went with it that like his mental health is deteriorating and like what not and the result of that isn't necessarily like him doing a murder Mm -hmm. but like what would actually maybe be the result of that you know i think it it, the movie ultimately ends up being okay to good when it could have been great if it just didn't have to have that like explosive horror ending you know what i mean like if they if if it had gone some other way it could have been really really satisfying and unexpected but ultimately just kind of ended up being another one of those you know oh the killer is him it was him the whole time he's mentally ill or you know, that's a trope and kind of a lazy trope. And I was a little disappointed yeah. that that's how it concluded. But um, pretty good overall, I think, anyway. I think we all kind of feel relatively the same in that <laughs> it was maybe better than we expected, but kind of held back by its own uh, adherence to tropes, I guess. Yeah, I would say it's pretty accurate. Mm. I think so as well. Cool. All right. Anything else on uh, Rent-A-Pal? We actually talked about that for 
longer than I thought we would. We haven't even gotten to the good shit yet. I hope the, les- <laughs> I hope the listeners are ready for this. <laughs> yeah, we started with the much more medium one that we all feel. This is the biggest similar. discussion of Rent-A-Pell on the internet. <laughs> That's almost friend. certainly this true. <laughs> this is the only film that we've watched that has zero trivia on IMDb. <laughs> we got... <laughs> We gotta get some. Uh, this is a promo opportunity. We gotta, we gotta at fucking John Stevenson on uh, on Twitter and be like, "Yo, bro, we just spent thirty five minutes talking <laughs> about your movie." <laughs> okay, so that means one of us has to be good at social media marketing, which we are not. No, I mean I'm pretty sure I know how to DM on Twitter. <laughs> I can. I don't know if he has a Twitter account, but okay, we'll did. leave it up to you then, Matt. <laughs> I did notice that he edited, wrote, and directed it. He's fucking, Which is, uh, who is this guy, John Carpenter? Come on. Oh, my God. Let's. Okay, so Matt, no jokes aside, literally you should DM him. DM him and say, who are you, John Carpenter? <laughs> no, no. No, I know, I know. Dumbass. We got to so, get him on here. I just had one uh, tiny point. Mm-hmm. Why was this tape? At the video dating service. It uh, see that's a that's another kind of issue that I had is that it makes sense most of the time because it's like a platonic friendship tape, but then the guy talks for five minutes about having sex with a girl and then it all just ends up being a gotcha moment where he's like laughing hysterically for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like. So I don't I don't know I I, I guess like, I carry it because it's like platonic, you know it's lonely people. For, <laughs> yeah, but like lonely people looking for love. Like you can have friends, and be lonely in in a romantic way. You know, like that just felt. That was my only real like. I think at the it beginning it was in I the was bargain like, bin, wasn't it? It was when he grabbed it, and then when the other guy grabbed it, when he freaked the fuck out and bought the other tape, um, that the other guy had it. It was like on a shelf, and I mean, this wasn't like a blockbuster where they had lots of, or I guess my understanding was this wasn't like a blockbuster where they just had a lot of videos like that. It seemed like this was a video dating service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was '90s Tinder. Yeah, I mean it. The store. It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Tinder, to be an you have to come to us. Well, I mean, think about it. Even with Tinder, I don't know if Tinder still does it, but Tinder had like a friend mode. Like a lot of those dating. Sites Bumble had, had a, a BFF. Bumble buddies or Bumble buddies. <laughs> Bumble BFF. I Bumble, just fucking said it. You stupid. <laughs> How is it not Bumble buddies? <laughs> Because that sounds awful, and it's mostly women using it to meet other women. I cannot fucking believe they named their dating service Bumble and then did not call the platonic friend add-on Bumble Buddies. Come if on, people. If it was people. called Bumble Buddies, Come on. no one would use it. Did, did anybody use it as it currently? or or? As I mean, I tried. I, I've, I've known people, like, I one of my best friends has tried to use it to meet new people when she moved to a new place it kind of worked for her she met it was more like she met up with the person and then actually became friends with their friend and is now super tight with them i tried using it when i first moved up to seattle and knew literally zero people in seattle and i honestly it was a mix of people being like 
I'm not actually here for friends. I'm trying to bone, which I was like, maybe, but that's a separate thing. But <laughs> it was mostly like, it felt really, it felt way more awkward than trying to date through an app. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, I don't know what I look for in a friend. Like, it just, they happen naturally. So it was kind of hard to be like, this is what I'm looking for. And I, this is what I, I'm like, I don't know, man, let's just hang out. Like, that feels weird. I never got into it, but some people use it and like, it's still a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like it's easier to just use the main version and then have sex with people and then be like, yeah, you know, we don't need to do this anymore and then stay friends. <coughs> I have a lot of friends like that. <laughs> That's so weird. Why would you do that? <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to draw some star ratings on this thing? Let's do it. Um, I'm going to go with a, I was torn between a three and a 3.5. I'm going 3.5. I'm a four. Whoa. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Damn. Okay. Uh, I'm a three. I didn't think I would be the lowest out of y'all. Well, uh, especially because the guy who hated the ending the most gave it the highest score. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Travis, I was surprised. I just uh, really related to him jerking off in his mom's basement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, dude, we've all been there. <laughs> no, we have not. I would like to. I would like to formally <laughs> say no to that RSVP. Thank you. I was not at that party. Yeah, my mom didn't have a basement. I did it on the same floor as her. <laughs> Even better. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't with this conversation. Uh, all right. No, that's gonna do it for rent a pal. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to She Dies Tomorrow. Let me get the plot synopsis pulled up here. This one I had heard of. This one was on my radar, though I didn't know a mm-hmm. ton about it um, before Travis picked it for the show. But plot synopsis is... Sorry, I had to burp. I didn't want to burp in the burp in the mic. I got uh, some negative listener feedback about me being a piece of shit on on air so trying to wash my manners that was my friend jordan jordan if you're listening you're welcome we I'm, appreciate your feedback i'm just saving the big jordan i hope you're listening i'm saving the big one for you for later bud don't you just, you just wait and see um Anyway, Amy is ravaged by the notion that she is going to die tomorrow, which sends her down a dizzying emotional spiral. When her skeptical friend Jane discovers Amy's feeling of imminent death to be contagious, they both begin bizarre journeys through what might be the last day of their lives. Now, Matt read the letterbox synopsis. I prefer the IMDb synopsis. Let's hear it. Amy thinks she's dying tomorrow. And it's contagious. But short and sweet. <laughs> I mean, that is a very succinct summary of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think this film and kind of the discourse around it, this podcast episode is going to be the kind of perfect microcosm of the discourse. The reason I say that is because this movie has an average rating on Letterboxd of 2.9. That is not very good. But I think, Travis, I think you're the one who used the word. This movie is very polarizing. 
Mm-hmm. And um, that's what y'all are about to see on this uh, this episode. Um, who there'll be wants some polls to go first on <clears throat> this one. Paris, do you want to go first on this one? Actually, Matt, I think you should go first on this one. <laughs> okay. Well, let me um, set the scene. I uh, smoke some weed before I watch this film. Really not knowing I mean, much about it. Yeah. I think you should describe the level of high that you told Travis you were. Oh, I'm, I'm getting there. So <laughs> I... This was an accident, by the way. I smoke some weed um, without knowing kind of what kind of movie I was getting into. Um, I was going to smoke some weed, took one hit and then, you know, took another hit. I I do it most nights, you know, helps me sleep. Um, I don't know if I just took way bigger hits than I usually do and didn't notice or what, but within five minutes of the film starting i was like okay i am really fucking high (laughs) and i i I, this movie made me want to die in the best possible (laughs) way i honestly god was fucking losing it watching this movie because i was the angle matt's coming from matt is like Gross suicide now. This movie it's like is... I was I no, I just wanted to say that you you told Travis you were so high you felt like your heart was gonna stop. Yeah. <laughs> like was... you were literally gonna die watching this movie. Well, so you know what it felt like? It felt Matt dies this, tomorrow. This movie this movie felt like a ninety minute anxiety attack. And I think that's kind that of was the yeah. weed. It is. That was the weed, by the way. Yeah, but <laughs> I. See, you know I what don't... this felt like to me? You know what this felt like to me? What? Sixty minutes of is anything even gonna happen? And then thirty minutes of oh, okay, I guess things are happening. Really? See, I feel like this movie's whole thing is is a a prolonged mood. Like, I think that's part of the reason why people either love or hate it or just kind of don't know what to make of it is that the whole thing, like, I feel like this movie should be called anxiety attack. The movie, like every, that's basically what the premise is, is she's kind of having this like existential anxiety induced. So um, I think instead of, anxiety the movie it could be called existential crisis the movie or existential more, dread like, the movie yeah. well because it's more like how everyone deals with it is different right like some people it's the anxiety and some people it's i'm having an existential crisis what do i do with that right yeah but i i do think so i mean the movie uh tagline references the fact that this existential dread is contagious right and i do think that kind of i i don't know if i've ever had like a full-on like clinical anxiety attack but what i can say is that i do gain anxiety sometimes and it usually starts with a thought like a morbid thought or man it would be really inconvenient if i had anxiety right now and then anxiety happens you know what i mean and that's kind of what happens? I mean, these these characters, Amy and Jane. Wait, is the main character's name Amy or is that the director? 
I know Jane is Amy. It is Amy. Is both the director and the name of the first gal. So there are these scenes where it's just very, very uncomfortable conversations, and whether it's Amy or Jane, are just kind of rambling. And it's, I think, where the anxiety more so came from was the eerie score and the strobing neon lights and the really kind of jarring editing where scenes just kind of end very unexpectedly and you're just moving into the next one and it's just this kind of nightmare of a film and I I think that's part of the reason why I had such a, a visceral reaction watching it I'm you know I'm not gonna lie I do think the anxiety brought on by the weed definitely put me in a state of mind where <laughs> I was more um um I don't know malleable in this susceptible movie. basically just this movie basically just kind of picked me up and scrunched me into a ball and just you know yelled at me for 85 minutes but I really the whole time through was very very uncomfortable and I think it was super effective at what it was going for and i think the disconnect is that not everybody everybody is going to like or enjoy what this movie is going for to begin with so it's funny that you talked about some of the neon lights and stuff because i was really thinking about if that title hadn't already been taken i felt like a good neon demon would have been a great title for this movie yeah yeah that's that's very true i mean the demon in the sense that that works on multiple levels and you know there's definitely right. a lot of fucking neon in the movie so <laughs> there fucking sure is nicholas winding refn he just uh he stole a good title i really <laughs> want to hear before i really get into mine i'm really curious to hear what travis has to think about this movie all right so i actually rewatched this last night um because the first time I had watched this, I thought it was uh, pretty insufferable. <laughs> About 20 minutes in, I had pretty much written off the movie and didn't feel like it was going anywhere. And I didn't really invest myself into it. And it just felt like it went nowhere the entire runtime. I'm pretty just... sure you tri- you texted us at 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And you were like, just die already. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what are we doing here? <laughs> it really felt like it was going nowhere. Um, but that was probably just because, I don't know. I, I think, so yeah, I did rewatch it. And I don't hate it as much as I did the first time around. But I do think that you really have to kind of give yourself over to the movie. And you're only going to get as much out of it as you put into it because it is very deliberately paced and there's really not a lot going on. Um, but I think you can, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll just work better for different people just depending on like what kind of experiences you have or maybe how you read the ending. Um, I still don't love this movie, but I did appreciate it a bit more on this watch. Uh, I did find some humor in it the second time around that I actually was giving it my full attention. Mm -hmm. And um, I like the premise or just the idea of it. I just don't know if it was executed in a way that I was like fully into it. And maybe that's like budget constraints or just the kind of like mood or vibe she was going for with it. 
uh, I don't know. I, I think it's ultimately successful in what it's trying to do, but I still have my reservations and I don't think it's a great movie. Um, but I do think it shows some promise, uh, for the director. You know, Travis, I'm really glad that you mentioned that you saw some of the funny stuff in it. Cause those were some of the high points for me is kind of the dark humor throughout. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite parts is when the lights go out because they're oh, going to yeah. do birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> and Jane, <laughs> she just jumps up like, like she thinks she's going to die. Yeah. And then, like, and then they're kind of like, yeah. look at her and she was like, I thought that was it. And it was just <laughs> the timing of everything. And because there, there wasn't a ton of humor already in it, that moment was just so good and so well done. And I just, it killed me truly. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the part at the end. This doesn't really spoil anything, but when they're out by the pool having a conversation and one of the characters like, who's mowing their lawn right now? Like as if <laughs> the whole world is about to end. Yeah. Because that's exactly so, what thought I would have is who fucking cares? I wanted to ask you guys about that scene because that I was, I was invested in this movie on and off. I would like parts and then maybe scenes would go on a little long for my taste or they would do stuff. And I was like, ah, I was having a really hard time figuring out how I was feeling about that movie. But when she wanders into that house and first of all, sudden Michelle Rodriguez, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that seemed odd at best. I was like, what a weird movie for Michelle Rodriguez of fast and furious fame to camp to essentially cameo in like what? Her, her especially, but also Chris Messina. Like, when he showed up, I was like, what are you doing here, bud? Like, <laughs> That made sense, because he was married also to the gal who was, like, the wife in the league, and they're both kind of more I comedy actors. I was when but... she showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, what is she doing here? <laughs> they, I felt, less weirded out about, because they're more of more main characters. Like, they're not the two main mains, but... Right. They're more they're, throughout the movie. Michelle Rodriguez is literally Michelle Rodriguez too. Yes, exactly. Michelle Rodriguez is literally a huge star in that actiony style movies and like she basically had a fucking cameo. And then that scene was where I lost the movie a little bit. I kind of got checked out because I kind of in my the way I was following it was you 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 feel like you're going to die tomorrow. You say that to someone else. That like infects them with the idea that they are also going to die tomorrow. Right? Mm -hmm. Pretty simple, basic idea premise. But then when she wandered into that seemingly random house. And those two gals also felt that way. I was like, oh, okay. So we're at the point where this is the zombie apocalypse, but theoretically anyone anywhere that you could meet up with also already feels this way. Like we're at that point. And I didn't like the way that was communicated to me. If that was even what was going on there. I kind of hated that scene and was not a fan. 
Well, I mean, this is it, it's it's funny that we just recently watched It Follows because when we're when we're looking at <laughs> something that is is transmitted, that is funny. Right? It with It Follows, it has to be passed on, presumably by the person who has it directs like transmits it directly to the person they have sex with. But this movie is different because it's more like a virus. Because there is a weird scene in this movie where um, Amy is with somebody. I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was, I think it was supposed to be her boyfriend. It was like a flashback scene. Mm, and they yeah, order boyfriend. pizza. And it's, I yeah. feel like it's implied that her the boyfriend The pizza guy definitely said, guy. I'm going to die tomorrow. A hundred percent. So I think... This is more, I think it's interesting that it's more, more like a virus, right? So she's on her storyline going about doing her shit. And then there's, you know, it's like an outbreak because she meets those two women. And like you said, they seem kind of unfazed by her behavior. And then we find out they also think they're going to die. So I'm really, really glad you brought that up because I thought, oh, this is kind of a, maybe it's kind of an allegory for like COVID, but just done in an interesting way but it was filmed in 2019 mm-hmm. and so i was like kind of making this joke that like maybe people just see their future aka they see what happens in 2020 and they're like i just want to die we're, <laughs> we're we're good we're done we're done well, here and i think another thing that i really really like about this movie is that for the most part these characters aren't scared by the fact that they're going to die. They kind of, you know, come to accept it and to varying degrees. I would say Jane is scared. Jane is scared. And so was Amy at the beginning, but Amy. Clearly so was Amy's boyfriend or he wouldn't have shot himself in the head. Right, right. But Christmas, I think totally bitched out back there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I'm sorry. If you knew you were going to die. Well, so I actually wanted to ask you guys about that, too, because he seems to think he'll die in two days. Her boyfriend does? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Do you not uh, remember that scene where he's like, where he infects her? He says he's going to die day after tomorrow. I don't. Uh, I don't remember that. Travis, or him saying you remember that. that? You watched it twice. Mm. You don't remember that. I didn't really get caught up in the rules of you know when you're supposed to die. No, the... that that's fair. I guess I was just trying to. I thought it was weird because I thought if everyone thinks they're gonna die tomorrow, and you're not sure if you're actually gonna die or not, right? Like we don't really know if they. Not to spoil the ending, but I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> we don't really. <laughs> know if they die or not right like we don't we don't know what happened. i did want to talk about the ending that is one thing i'm not i'm not really sure what happened or what was we were supposed to make from the ending and i feel like the ending was kind of weak as a result but maybe that's just me i i mean i would agree with that but i guess i was i was really on board with the whole like we don't know if they're being infected with this idea and so nothing's really going to happen to them. And we don't really know. Or we don't know if like something's actually going to happen to them and they're going to die. Or maybe everyone's going to die. Like we, we don't know at all. We just know it's happening. So I think when he sort of broke the cycle and said, I'm going to die day after tomorrow. It felt 
too pointed. I would have preferred if he just said, I'm going to die, or even I'm going to die tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, where we don't actually, we still don't know. I, I didn't like the fact that he thought he was going to die on the same day as everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to rewatch it to know. Because I, I, I didn't remember him saying the day after tomorrow. So I don't know if that breaks the cycle or not. Because I don't remember it happening that way. But yeah, fair that enough. would be interesting. Um, what I... So to talk about the ending, Travis, as someone who felt like they were going to die watching this movie, but knew <laughs> that they were not going to die. I now think I know the why end you of this movie five is stars. Yeah, you're like, literally, <laughs> Matt dies tomorrow. I'm not dead. <laughs> five stars. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I do... Because the, the movie, just to be explicit about it, um, spoilers. I mean, we're doing spoilers, obviously. But the movie literally ends with Amy's character vacillating between saying, it's okay, it's okay, and I'm not okay, or it's not okay, I'm not okay, going back and forth over and over again. And that's kind of what anxiety feels like, right? I mean, it's you telling so- yourself, I know this is in my head, I know it's going to be okay, but it's not okay. I'm not going to be okay. This is horrible. I think that was th- the only way to end this movie. Did you do as that it exists. during so- the movie before <laughs> the ending? <laughs> what, feel that way? Yeah, did you say to yourself, I'm not okay, I, I am okay? <laughs> I mean, not explicitly, but I mean, I told you I thought my heart was going to explode. <laughs> like, it was real stop and go there for a bit. I didn't know. It's like, she dies tomorrow. Does Matt die tonight? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I, I, I will say I really liked that scene because when I... I'm feeling really anxious and sometimes when I'm really depressed, I have to say I'm okay. It's okay. I'm okay. And I will repeat it like that to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's when I'm in the mirror. I don't, I mean, pull not yourself all together, Paris, <laughs> as you splash I mean, water in your face. <laughs> it sounds no? dumb, but, but occasionally, <laughs> I mean, not those exact words, but yeah, occasionally. One t- I mean, one time I literally had to tell myself, you're an adult, so I would brush my own teeth in the mirror. Like, you know, occasionally you need to give yourself a little pep talk. And um, I feel it. <laughs> but, but I've literally had those moments where I was having a mental health breakdown and I just had to say, it's okay. You're okay. It's okay. Because anxiety, because Matt, you said you've never actually maybe had a clinical attack. Like I have. And when you're having a panic attack, it literally feels like you're going to die. Like a lot of people describe it as they think they're having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was dying. I just thought I didn't think of it as like a specific thing. But when I had my panic attack, I was like, oh, I'm dying. This is it. Dead. Obviously, there's nothing actually physical wrong with me, but I think that I loved that scene as like a really real and true and raw and felt really like that's how you some people handle mental health stuff. But I will kind of agree with Travis and that I don't think that that was a great way to end the movie. I felt unsatisfied. 
I liked the scene, just not as the end. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that in the sense that this movie, like I said, is just kind of, it, it has this concept and it's establishing a mood and is just trying to stretch that mood out for a feature length film. Like there's not really a narrative here. There's not closure. Right. Even right. on a scene to scene level, there's not closure. Like a scene will just end and all of a sudden the character is somewhere else or it's a flashback or, or yeah, flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, or they're on a different character. It's I I think it's it's very unconventional in that sense, and I I really thought the movie went for something, and for me it really worked. Um, but I I did want to mention you. It was like twenty minutes ago at this point, but you guys were talking about how there are moments that are really funny. You guys didn't even mention the funniest part, and it's when she goes to the taxidermy place to figure out the logistics of being turned into a leather jacket. <laughs> like she wants to be turned into a leather jacket, and she literally See, goes. To I didn't the guy. even think that was funny. I was like, because I've always thought about when I die, I want to be made into a redwood tree. Is like one of those things where you're cremated and your ashes are part of the redwood tree soil until you're made into a redwood tree but i was like loki should i become a leather jacket that's pretty sick (laughs) i I I didn't think it was funny though i was just like should i change my death plan i thought it was pretty funny i mean that's like you know it's 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 a, a a motif on the theme where it's like this is what irrational thinking can do to you where it's like sort of thought humor yeah yeah the thought of becoming a leather jacket is infectious to her and she like just gets that thought into her head like yeah i do want to be a leather jacket when i die i should figure this out you know what i, I mean? did like kind <laughs> of like when he was like i do custom work but this is exactly how you have to do it you have to bring it to me it has to still be warm and i was like how is she gonna manage that if it's hard <laughs> is she just gonna die if she thinks she's gonna die in some way she's just gonna try to do that like outside his shop or what what's happening right <laughs> um yeah, I just um, I I will say I came a came in a little hot on this thing. Um, I I think initially I said like it would have been in my top ten of the year. I think I said like number yeah, six you, or something. And I I maybe you were still high when you said that. You were, <laughs> Probably you were on one for sure. And while I do really admire the film, I I do think there's something to be said for. The the movie is very narratively lacking in the sense that you have to really be in a particular state of mind to to really have any interest in watching this movie, especially on a rewatch. Right, like I as it stands now, I have zero interest in watching this movie again, just based on the experience I had the first time. And the inverse of that is yours travis like you fucking hated it the first time and i'm kind of surprised that you did rewatch it because it just Me seems like too. one of those movies that's well, just like <laughs> i mainly re-watched I was a little it shook. for the sake of this show and because you were so high on it i was just like i guess literally I something. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i felt obligated to rewatch it to talk about it so and th- that's, that's that makes sense, that's right? But I can't imagine like if we were not doing this, if like if you were just doing that as part of Cram Jam, like, and I didn't see it, 
you would have had zero interest in watching this movie ever again, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, now that I've seen it again, I don't know if I ever care to go back a third time because I feel like I've gotten what I need to get out of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you were alluding to earlier, you really have to like be in the right mood to watch this and get something out of it. Or you could just easily dismiss it as like just, I don't know, low budget, like, art house bullshit (laughs) i guess i really understand like i didn't have as extreme reactions on a first watch as y'all did but i definitely understand why this movie would be so polarizing i i got to the end of the movie and i was like i am truly and entirely unsure of what i think about it i i i i tried to wait and i thought about it a lot i read about it a lot I thought about it some more. I was having a really hard time figuring out what my star rating would be for this. And I just kept thinking and pondering and I thought on it a lot. And I finally I came up with an answer, but I was really just like, I don't even know how I feel about this. And maybe, maybe I won't even know for a long time because I feel like I wasn't super stoned and I didn't hate it, you know? So I was having a hard time figuring out where I was at. Mm hmm. I will say real quick that it didn't really feel like much of a horror movie besides some of like the mood and atmosphere of it and just yeah. dealing with a dark subject of death. But beyond that, it didn't really feel like a horror movie. It felt more of like a science fiction movie, if anything. Yeah. Actually, I'm glad that you bring that up because I, I forgot, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys because I kind of thought about this. So Jane, she somehow ends up extremely extremely bloody in her basement studio she does leave her door open so anyone or anything could have come in do we think that the wife like injured her that like the wife from the league injured her i don't because remember when she's like are you mad at me and he was like, "No, I understand, or or whatever. Like, it's fine." It wasn't really clear what happened to her character, even though she was just all of a sudden bloody on her lower half. Right. I assume that she, when I first saw the blood, I assumed that she had hurt herself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then when she seemed relatively fine. Like, fine enough to walk over to that house and get in the pool and stuff, even though there was so much blood. I was like, oh, someone attacked her, but, like, she's not actually, like, dead or severely injured. And then when the couple was talking about, like, are you okay with it? Are you mad at me? And he was like, nah, that's fine. Like, they don't show what they're talking about. So I was like, oh, maybe the wife went over and was like, because she, like, hated the sister, and maybe she was like, fuck you, if I'm going to die tomorrow, and you made me feel this way, I'm going to, like, hurt you. It could have been the Did doctor, that? too. Like, I thought maybe the doctor hurt her. Because she literally says, is this how it ends, right? In the scene, like, we hear, like, a door open or something. I thought right. maybe it was the doctor that she had passed it on to. Why would the doctor do that? I don't know. It, uh, be like, what have you done to me? Like, because he said he was going home to his 
like wife or something. So maybe. Yeah, he, but he was also going to have sex with her. Right. Right. He was like, he, he, see, he was like, I'm going <laughs> to die tomorrow. I'm going to have sex with this stranger, I guess. Like, I feel like the, the wife was like, thing, right? Right. But I feel like the wife was like, <laughs> I'm going to die tomorrow. How fucking dare you do this to us? I'm pissed at you. I already hate you. Like. No. I don't know. It wasn't explicit. Know, Not one bit. <laughs> well, and, and she those also. Those are some of the low points, I feel like, for me. I just think those are, like, that's definitely one of the things that I, I don't really have an explanation for. Because she also, at the time, was looking at the bacteria under the mic- the microscope. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it's less right. literal than we're thinking. Maybe it's, I don't know, like... I don't even know where to take that, but I mean, maybe it was. Yeah, something I don't to do know how you could mean it less literally. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's implying that they're the fucking even bacteria got the uh, <laughs> the sickness, and it was like, Matt, "Am I going to die tomorrow?" And the bacteria are you just, high like, right now? Infects her? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, don't I know, definitely man. viewed it as more of a like a metaphorical virus than an actual virus mm-hmm. me too uh, yeah. but i think you could view it as both ways especially given our current climate it does seem ripe to uh put the whole virus thing on it mm-hmm. and even if it's a metaphorical virus i was thinking there's still the potential that you could die because you know like how your brain can help like even if you take a placebo sometimes your brain just thinking that you're being healed can heal you yourself right. so i was thinking maybe the opposite is true maybe if you truly believe with every fiber and core of your body that you're gonna die tomorrow maybe your brain would just be like all right that's it we're shutting down like right right or it would cause you to do something irrational that causes your death just because your brain is like oh this is it this is the opportunity you know this must be where i die you know right exactly yeah I just, I don't know. I, I, f- I found it to be really, really effective at what it was going for. And uh, I haven't really seen anything quite like it. And uh, I admire the film for that. I uh, was very, very impressed. And I'm, I'm glad, I, uh, glad I watched it. So it feels like we're winding down. I have one final thing I wanted to actually talk to you all about. Yeah. And it's a question that isn't directly related to the movie but what would you do if you knew for sure you were going to die tomorrow Mm, i don't know i would probably well okay so in this in this hypothetical is this like right now or is covid not a thing in the hypothetical I guess I was thinking, well, I guess if you're going to die tomorrow, like, who cares if you get COVID? But I guess I was low-key thinking, like, COVID wasn't a thing, so you have all your normal options. Yeah, because, I mean, right now, I would probably get, like, a Zoom call or something and just, like, talk to my friends and family. God, what know? a lame answer, Matt. Jesus. I mean, come yeah, on. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what do you want me to say? I'm going to go wrestle an alligator or something? Like, Yeah, dude. Wrestle a bear. I mean, at the end of the day, like, 
Yeah, that is what I was hoping you would say. No, 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 Actually, no. Alligator not an alligator. Fitting, I guess, not an alligator. <laughs> a boar. Right. <laughs> to truly see. And I feel like only Matt's good friends will probably. Get Wait, isn't this like but... a really old callback to something? If Matt, if Matt knew he was going to die tomorrow and didn't at the end of the day try to wrestle boar to truly see. Who would win in that fight? I would never be happy. You know, it hadn't crossed my mind, but you're at you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> I mean, you know me. I would have to. I would be like, you know, this is my only opportunity to prove to my friends who fucking laugh at me every time this comes up <laughs> that I would be a bore. I Matt, would have to. So I would Travis, do, do you remember? Matt is literally convinced that if he were to get in a fight with a bore. That he would win. <laughs> I can take. I can take it down. One boar. No, there is literally no way that you wouldn't be gored to death. Mm, it's plenty of ways. They have actual tusks. Yeah, I'm smarter. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that. All right. Well, we don't need to get. This I is got a my whole money thing. On that. I've spent way too much time in my life talking about. <laughs> explicitly and specifically how I would kill a wild boar. So, you know, I'm not going to waste the emotional energy doing it. But on. I just, I would hope that if you thought you were going to die tomorrow, that that would be kind of your final thing. Like, all you're, right, this is it. The true you're 100% test. right. 100% right. Now that you mentioned that, that would have to be it. Although I don't know if where I would find one. I don't even know where boars are, but uh, the hills of uh, San Jose, California, specifically in Almaden Valley. I could take really? you to a place where there are wild boars. I've, I've, I've been there. Friends have seen them. Could take you there. Like, like the kind that killed Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones, or like a big pig. I've never seen Game of Thrones, so I don't know. Because boars, like a, like there's different types boar. of boars. Some boars are literally oh just like big, God. big pigs. I can't. We need to move on from this. Yeah, <laughs> you started it. <laughs> Really? Matt started this way before I even knew him. I want to say like 10 years ago. Like, It's probably pushing 10 years now. That's uh, my narrative and I will die on that hill. Yeah, on, by being gored by a boar. <laughs> um, okay, any other thoughts on, on She Dies Tomorrow before we, uh, before we go star ratings? No. No, I think we covered it. Cool. Well, let, let's see how uh, polarizing the final star ratings ended up being. Um, I, I landed, came in hot, initially was a five, uh, landed on 4.5 out of five. Paris? Um, I was a three on this one as well. I, like I said, wasn't really sure how I feel felt about it. I'm still not totally sure, but I feel like a solid three is a good medium. I'm right there with you on rewatch, uh, but the original star rating wow. was a one star, and yeah. uh, I deemed it the worst movie of 2020. So <laughs> I apologize to the I'm uh, shook the crew of She Dies Tomorrow, and um, I've made up for it with my rewatch. Now I you guys truly thought that. You, I was going to be, you were going to be a one, Matt was going to be a five, and I was going to be right in the middle with the three. Yeah, that's originally where I thought we were going to end up, but turns out 
life's just not that interesting. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. See, uh, have That's you guys actually done this review? <laughs> <laughs> have you guys logged your three star reviews yet? Because uh, I wonder if you guys, no. you two alone no. would be enough to bring the average up from a two point nine to a three. You think you have guys, you, will, you think you guys five? will tip the scales? Definitely not. Oh, I logged There's mine. No way. You log, if you logged your five and it didn't tip it, then I'm sure not. There's got to be a tipping point, though, right? You know, there's there's the one that would move you would it have from a to have to a, a lot more. Like if the t if the three of us all had fives, maybe I don't know how many reviews there are, but us giving it a three is not going to tip it from a two point nine. That's so close to a three, it wouldn't matter. But what if under the hood, it's like right there? right there if it was right there another five would tip it but that's not how averages work right like yeah, math not that many people <laughs> i mean nineteen thousand people have seen this movie so right if it's at a 2.95 right now and all it takes is getting up to a 2.96 to bump to a three i mean one one vote could do that i'm just saying true you True. guys, you guys could turn turn the turn the corner on this one. Well, check and, back um, in a couple hours and <laughs> see if it I changes. Guess. <laughs> All right, y'all. Um, before we get on to our twenty twenty stuff, I need to take a quick break because I'm going to piss my pants. If not, okay. Well, we will return. Uh, you probably won't even notice the break, but we will be right back. All right, and we're back, and uh, we're out because uh, Paris ran into some issues with a fire. Uh, her house was on fire, uh, so she <laughs> <laughs> had to bounce. Um, no, she, she lives in like a duplex type thing, and the upstairs people are having a fire, and uh, their flute or something downstairs isn't open, so Paris and uh, Kurt, are getting uh, smoked out, so and not in the not good the way. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're we're just gonna we're gonna end it here. So Paris had to bounce. So um, thank you everybody for listening. I think this was a this was a good one. This was a fun one. What did you think, Travis? Oh yeah, two solid reviews. Can't ask for much more for this uh, beeline show that we do. Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Well, I should uh, tease the listeners. Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about a pair of killer animal films. Travis, what was the, the catchy uh, menacing mammals? Mm. Is that what you came up with? Mammals of mayhem. Mammals that of mayhem. Menacing <laughs> mammals. Something, you know, menace <laughs> mammals, you know, mayhem. Uh, the films we're going to be discussing are going to be Cujo. The Stephen King adaptation from the 80s with the killer St. Bernard and Black Sheep, a horror comedy set in New Zealand where sheep kill people. And it's pretty great. Um, so those will be the picks for next time around. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay spooky.